Well, what a special uh, privilege this is to be here with you today uh, to speak at Pastor Micah's uh, commissioning and installation. I've known Micah now for, I think, around 15 years. I'm, I'm guessing right in there. Um, he has an older sister named Sharissa. I call her C because I don't like multiple syllables. <laughs> And she worked uh, for our department for two years and got to know her very well. And uh, I think Mike and I, we went down to uh, ETS together one, one year, didn't we? Down in San Diego. And that was, a, that was a great time. I've been in their home in uh, Washington and know the parents well. And so it's a very special privilege to be here also to be at a supporting church for Peter and Heather Malachar. That's always a great, great joy. But as Pastor Micah begins his official role as the senior pastor, I think his greatest desire, I haven't asked him, but I would say his greatest desire is for you to grow spiritually. And that would be anybody's great desire. He wants you to be conformed more to his image. He wants you to be more transformed by the renewing of your mind. He wants you to set your heart on God's things. He wants you to seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Would that be a correct statement? That really is correct for anyone who is teaching like I do, or discipling, mentoring, Sunday school teachers, anyone that is in the business of communicating eternal truth would want that for their people. He's not looking for numbers. This is a wonderful church, a wonderful group of people. I don't know how many are here, but, but it's a wonderful group. But he's not looking for, for more people. He's looking for growth, spiritual growth. I know this is where his heart bleeds. So the question would be today, how do you know if you're growing? He would want to know. I would want to know. And you would want to know. How do you know if you're being transformed by the renewing of your mind? Let me suggest four non-negotiables. If you can say yes to these questions, you're growing. And if you can't say yes to these questions, you're not growing. It's as simple as that. The first question. Do you have a greater love for God today than you did six months ago? Do you have a greater love for God today than you did six months ago? Now, if we look at God from the scriptures, we see in an infinite number of attributes. I'd like to just focus a little bit on three of them. We see that he is first and foremost a holy God. He is absolutely distinct from his creation. He is exalted above the creatures he is infinite in majesty. 
in Exodus 15.11, right after he had destroyed all the Egyptians in the Red Sea, he said, who is like thee, Moses said this, who is like thee, majestic in holiness? In Isaiah 57, verse 15, it says, for thus says the high and exalted one, who lives forever, whose name is holy. And when we think of God's holiness, we should also think of his separateness from sin, separateness from all evil. Job 34, verse 10, far be it from God to do evil. James 1, he is not to be tempted. So we see that he is holy. We see that he is absolutely sovereign. One of my favorite verses in Daniel 4, verse 35, and all the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. But he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? God will do as he pleases, always as he pleases, only as he pleases. And no one can change it. No one can reverse it. No one can bring him to account for it. Proverbs 16, verse 9. The mind of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. See, we don't always see God operating until after the fact. But he's always there. He's always doing whatever is needed to bring him the greatest glory and to bring you the greatest growth. Furthermore, we also see in the scriptures that God is a God of love, sacrificial love. 1 John 4.10, in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. His love is eternal. It's everlasting. Jeremiah says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Chapter 31. His love is infinite. His love is unchangeable. His love is compassionate. His love is merciful. His love is gracious. His love is unfailing. And I loved some of the songs that we sang. Great is thy faithfulness. Definitely a favorite. So God is holy, God is sovereign, God is loving, and God is infinitely more. This is the God we worship. This is the God we need to get to know. I like what A.W. Tozer said. He said, what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about God? He said, that is the most important thing about us. And I agree, that is most important. So do you love this God? Do you want to trust him more? 
more and more with your life? Do you want to fear him, walk in his ways, obey him, serve him, and love him? Do you want to rest in him and wait patiently for him and be committed to him and delight in him? It's a process. Takes the rest of our lives. But are you in the process? Do you love him more today than you did six months ago? If you do, it evidences that you know him and he knows you. Let's take a second question. Do you have a greater love for his word today than you did six months ago? Do you have a greater love for his word? Turn to Romans 12, 2, would you? I want to spend a little time on this verse, one of my very favorite verses. Let me read it. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect." We don't want to be consumed by the fashion and the environment of the world. That should not be our first priority. The present tense that says, do not be conformed, but be transformed. They are present tense verbs, meaning that they are continuous. And they are both passive in voice, which means that the world is conforming us to its mold, while at the same time, the mind is renewing us toward transformation. We're not to let the world mold us into its form. We'll never get the world completely out of us, but we don't have to make the world our focus. You see, we need to realize we are in the world. As believers, we are, we are certainly here. But we don't need to be of the world. We don't need to be making the world our priority. And rather than be molded by the world, let's be transformed, <coughs> excuse me, to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. This is continuous, progressive transformation toward Christ-likeness. You see, it's not a change of behavior that transforms us. It's a change of mindset. That's what transforms us. Because it is the mind that changes behavior, not the other way around. How do we do this? How do we transform? How do we become transformed by the renewing of our mind? There's only one way, and that is the Word of God. That is the only 
the only book, the only way that God has planned that we be transformed. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, training in righteousness, that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. In 2 Timothy 2.15, be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed handling accurately the word of truth. And in 1 Timothy 4.6, in pointing out these things to the brethren, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, constantly nourished on the words of the faith and sound doctrine. You see, the renewal of our minds through the Word of God not only changes our view of ourself, it changes our behavior, it changes our thoughts toward others, and it changes our thoughts toward the world. You see, we see ourselves regenerated, justified, sanctified, we see ourselves that way. We see what Christ has done in paying that penalty for us. And we live by his grace. We see others as people to love as we would want to be loved. We see our life here as one being temporary. We're just passing through. We're on our way to heaven. So we need to be in the Word every day in order to discover what God says about us and about the world and about others, etc., and how we're to act. There's no substitution for being in the Word. Let me give you a thought. There are 260 chapters in the New Testament. If you read three chapters a day, you'd read through the entire New Testament in three months. Do you think that God would begin the process of transformation as you're reading through the New Testament in three months? And the answer is absolutely yes. So after three months, you start over again. Read it again, and then read it again. In one year, you can read through the New Testament four times, and half of that is spent in the Gospels learning all about Jesus, which doesn't get any better than that. Would that bring a process of transformation? Absolutely yes. I've been doing that for years. It is the thing that has helped me to grow more than any other thing. Yes, trials help. Persecutions help. Blessings help. The Word has been the key. The key. Now, if you really want to be aggressive, there are 929 Old Testament chapters. And if you read three in the Old Testament every day, you'd read through the entire Old Testament and be done in October. I do that. I read three in the old and three in the new every day. 
Oh, it's amazing. And every year, I always ask myself, I never saw that before. Because it's the inexhaustible word. It never changes, and you can never learn the total truth. You're always learning and coming to new thoughts. Do you love the word? Do you want to read it? Do you want to think about it during the day? Do you want to meditate on it? Do you want to memorize it, study it, learn it? It's a process from now until heaven, but are you in that process? If you are, it evidences that you know him. If you aren't, it doesn't. Let's go to a third question. Do you have a greater love for God's people today than you did six months ago? Do you have a greater love for God's people? How do we love God's people? Because love is action. Love is sacrifice. And God, of course, made the greatest sacrifice for us. But I can't think of a better way than to look at what Scripture says about brotherly love. The word that's usually translated brotherly love in the New Testament is the word Philadelphia. And you've heard that word many, many times. It is the city of brotherly love. However, the idea of loving our brethren is much more extensive than simply the five times that word is used in the New Testament. It's really seen in how we manifest the one another passages. I don't know if you've looked at them much, but over 40 times we see different one another passages mentioned in the New Testament. The word love one another is used eight times by itself. But there are others. Just listen as I read some of these to you. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Be of the same mind toward one another. Don't judge or condemn one another. Build up one another, accept one another, admonish one another, have the same care for one another, bear one another's burdens, be kind to one another, be subject to one another, don't lie to one another, forgive each other, comfort one another, encourage one another, stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another. Be hospitable toward one another. I just read you 20 one another's. That's loving your brethren. That's sacrificing for them. And it's important to note that every one of these commands that I read is a command. That means that God expects us to do those. Now, he's certainly helping us, but he expects us to exert effort in doing those, in accomplishing those. 
I mean, why give us a command that we couldn't do? That's not right. So these are commands that we can actually do. And these are things we need to do. The Apostle John, in his first epistle, he makes love of the brethren one of the key evidences as to whether someone is saved or not. In verse, chapter 2, verse 10, he says, The one who loves his brother abides in the light, and there's no cause for stumbling in him. Chapter 4, verse 7 and 8, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Chapter 3, verse 17, But whoever has the world's goods and beholds his brother in need and closes his heart to him, how does the love of God abide in him? See, true love for the brethren, then, is grounded in a true love for God. Remember, the two commandments, the two great commandments, love God and love others. Well, love others has to be dependent upon loving God. It's a process, takes us the rest of our lives but are you in the process? If you are, it evidences that you know him and he knows you. Let's look at the fourth question. Do you have a greater hatred for your sin than you did six months ago? Do you have a greater hatred for your sin than you did six months ago? Sin is that great destroyer of everything that we've been talking about. Now, we're all familiar with the big sins, murder, adultery, immorality, lying, things like that. And hopefully we grieve over those things, especially when we are doing them. But what about the other sins, some of the sins that don't seem as grand or great, such as lying, stealing, gossiping, worldliness, anger, impatience, irritability, complaining, unthankfulness, selfishness, sins of the tongue, pride, I mean, those are big sins, too, in the sight of God. We may brush them aside, some of them, and we may not think of them in the same way that we think of the murder and adultery, etc. But they're still sins. And God thinks of them the same way. Do we grieve over them in the same way? One writer said this, he said, the heinousness of sin lies not so much in the sin that's committed, but in the person we've sinned against. Get that? The heinousness of sin lies not so much in what we've done, but in who we've done it to. We've done it to the almighty, holy, sovereign, gracious God. 
Psalm 51 verse 4 says, Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. Now that doesn't mean we haven't sinned against others, but it means that we have primarily sinned to a holy God, a sovereign God, a loving and righteous God. And if God is eternal, that means that we have had sins that have eternal consequences. And it should lead to forever damnation, and yet by God's grace it doesn't. His mercy, His grace, His love, His loving kindness has spared us from that and forgiven us every sin we have ever committed and every sin we ever will commit. Isn't that freeing? And yet it should cause us to grieve when we sin, when we've offended a holy God. Even in the little things, we need to be confessing regularly. We need to be recognizing that we'll never be perfect this side of heaven. I say we'll never be sinless, but we can sin less. And one way that I think we, we see that we're actually sinning less is when we feel like we're sinning more. You ever feel like that? You ever get up some days or go through and half through the day, you're thinking, man, I'm just sinning all the time. I'm just always confessing. You know what? That's really a good thing. Because remember, as we grow, we grow more toward the light. Well, what does light do? It exposes darkness. So when we're really growing, we think we're not growing because we think we're sinning more. No, we're not. We're confessing more and sinning less. So we should be thinking about the smaller sins, even though there is no small sin with God. They may just have fewer consequences to the sin. And if we aren't thinking about these, and we aren't thinking about the consequences, and if we aren't grieving, then we should ask God to convict us. We should ask God to, to help us to see the sinfulness that is in us. One man said this in an article. He said, because of my sin, it invites the discipline of God, is forever wasted in time, never pleases but always grieves God, places a greater burden on my spiritual leaders, always brings a heaviness to my heart, has me do what I don't want to do, makes me less than what I could be, causes others to suffer, perhaps even my family, makes the enemies of God rejoice, saddens the godly, deceives me into believing I've gained something when I haven't gained anything at all, I've really lost, is very brief pleasure for an eternal loss, may, may influence others to sin, may affect our relationships with others, may keep others from knowing Christ, 
may harm my mind and my body, may even be an indication of being an unbeliever. And if he's the Lord of our life, why are we doing it? Well, it's a process. And we're in that process till heaven. But is, do you hate sin more? Do you hate sin more now than you did? If you do, it evidences that you know him. So let me summarize what we've been saying for the last few minutes. Do you and I have a greater love for God? Do we love him with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? Do we really want to get to know him better? Do we have a greater love for his word? Do we want to get into his word and find out what it has to say? Do we, do we love reading what it says about us and about the world and about others? Do we have a greater love for people? Are we willing to serve people? Are we willing to step up and help people? Are we willing to be sacrificial? And do we hate our sin? Do we hate it with, a, with the utmost hatred? This is what Pastor Micah would like from you. A greater love for God, a greater love for his word, a greater love for his people, and a greater hatred for sin. Because that will grow the church more than anything else. Don't need numbers. Just people who want to grow. And if this is a yes from you, you're maturing, you're growing. And I say amen and amen. Let's pray. Oh, our merciful Lord, please today pardon all of our sins of today and even this week and this year and all the sins known and unknown felt and unfelt, confessed and not confessed, remembered or not remembered. Be gracious to us, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, then blot out our transgressions. Also, dear Lord, draw us to a greater love and dependence on you and your word. Convict us that the only way we're ever going to become closer to you and mature in our lives is to be saturated with your word. Help us do that, Father. Not all at once, but in slow degrees of progression so we might know your will and walk pleasing to you, as it says in Romans 12. Furthermore, Lord, Help us to love others as you would have us do. Not to gain anything, but in order to fulfill your will for us. Help us learn to be humble servants to others. And then finally, and of course most important, help us learn to trust you, delight in you, commit our way to you, and rest and wait patiently for you to accomplish your perfect will in us. 
We love you, Father. And we pray all this in your matchless, gracious name.